Do you feel like nursing school prepared you to actually be a nurse? Absolutely not. <laughs> Me neither. In this episode, we're going to give you guys five steps you can take to feel prepared as a new graduate nurse. Before we get into it, we're going to introduce ourselves real quick. My name is Anna. I am now a second year student registered nurse anesthetist, which is wild. I have a background in CVICU. I was a travel nurse for about two years, and now we run a nursing education business and membership, Confident Care Academy, with my business partner, Chrissy. I'm a CRNA. I've been a nurse anesthetist for six years now. Wow. And before that, I was a CVICU nurse as well. What is the first step a new graduate nurse can take to get ready to step into this environment of nursing? I think step one is really coming to terms with reality. <laughs> <laughs> in nursing school, you have all of these ideals. You are so excited to become a nurse. You know that you're going into the workforce to make a difference. And then when you get out there, you realize that healthcare in the United States of America, it's run as a for-profit business, essentially. So when you get there, you don't realize that, oh my gosh, these hospitals, they want to hire the cheapest nurses possible. And you as a new grad are that cheap nurse. And you don't really realize that they're not always looking out for your best interest. One book that I think should be required reading for all nursing students is A Collective Bargain by Jane McAlevey. I love all of her work. It's going to really teach you a lot about how teachers and nurses, specifically in the United States, have really pushed together to make some of these really positive changes in workforces, specifically in unions. So you're really gonna wanna figure out that in America at least, it is in your best interest to work at a unionized facility. That's step one. If you are looking for a job, I recommend working somewhere that has a union. I started off somewhere that did not have a union and that ended up being a, a, the reason that there was a lot of turnover. You're going to also hear a little bit about the nursing shortage. Chrissy, do you hear about the nursing shortage? Every single day. And I see it all the time, even though you might think, oh, she's just in the operating room. You can see it when you bring patients to the ICU, how fresh and green everyone is. And you know, the look on people's faces when you bring them a complex patient, the difference between a new grad who's surrounded by supportive seasoned nurses versus the new grad who's being helped by other new grads. It's a very scary place to be if you're in the latter category. Oh, absolutely. So especially now as I'm being trained in graduate school to look at things from the provider side, 100% see the effect of the nursing shortage on our patient care and patient outcomes. So why is this step one? Ste it, the reason that this is step one is to understand the nature and like the landscape of healthcare in the United States is to really empower you so that you can do something about it, right? You need to understand that these units that have super high turnover, the reason they have high turnover is because they're not treating their employees very well. You're likely going to find yourself working in an ICU as a new grad where about 50% of the nurses are brand new like yourself which is so wild. So how can you understand that this is a product of bad working environments and also take the steps that you need to take to figure out all of these critical care content so that you can take really good care of your patients, right? Because if you don't have mentors and you don't have a unit that is staffed by really experienced nurses, you really feel isolated, right? Like you feel like you're on your own. How is this tying into your experience as a new grad nurse? Did you have high turnover where you were a new grad? It wasn't quite as bad back then as it is now in many places because I did work in a facility where although we were not unionized we were in a union dense area so if you read a collective bargain Jane McAlevey talks about how in Philadelphia in 2010 there was a big unionization movement starting with Temple Hospital there was later a big battle for Einstein um, Crozier 
also unionized. And so all the other big hospitals, in order to prevent unions from coming down the lane, they really buckled down and increased pay and benefits and did things to incentivize nurses to stay without unionizing. So a rising tide raises all ships. Um, I did have the benefit from working in a unit that did have a lot of seasoned nurses, mm-hmm. did have a lot of NP support during the day. Um, we did not have a lot of uh, provider support overnight, which has since changed. Um, but, you know, we did lose a lot of CRNAs to, uh, I'm sorry, we did lose a lot of nurses to CRNA school every year and NP school. But people just quitting and leaving actually was not that big of a, a problem. So um, although the learning curve was very steep and it was very scary for me, and there were not a lot of resources at the time to support new nurses, having the senior nursing support and the provider support around did make it possible to survive that transition. I think if I was on a unit with fewer senior nurses, I would have had to quit. It really would not have been safe at all. I probably would have killed someone. And that's the reality that transitions into our next talking point, which we're going to get into, is these patients are really, really, really sick. So step one is that you need to understand that you are being thrown into an environment with incredibly sick and high acuity patients. And if you're working in an area that doesn't have high union density, you're less likely to have the resources and support that you need. I started at a unit that had... (laughs) I think it is a staff of about 90 and about 18 of those were nurses who had been nurses for longer than two years. The churning and turnover was wild. That's so bad. So by six months, I was already, there were already 20 new nurses when I had six months of experience because it was multifactorial, right? So it is a large hospital where people are on their way to CRNA school. That is one factor. However, I will say this, I've worked on the East Coast. I've worked on the West Coast. In areas that have high union density, where there are nurse-to-patient ratios, in California, there are laws about how many patients you can take, and those laws were passed by the unions in California. And then, like Chrissy was saying, if you work in an area that has high union density, even the non-union hospitals have to kind of match the working conditions that the unions create. I was in an area with low union density, low pay. I started at $29 an hour in 2019. And I had incredibly high acuity patients. And by the end of orientation, I was taking VA ECMO, admitting two cardiac patients. I would double transfer, double admit in like the CVICU. And then so unsafe and so inappropriate. (laughs) And it's also wild now to be like in grad school and understand how much I didn't know at the time, because it's the whole you don't know what you don't know type of situation, which we start off. Point number one is understand that you have the power to make a difference, read a collective bargain, and try to work somewhere that has a union. And if you don't work somewhere that has a union, get together with your coworkers and start a union. But then that leads into the next step, which is you need to take every precaution that you can to be a safe new grad ICU nurse. So for lesson number two, or survival tip number two, it's be a safe new grad. How do you be a safe new grad? I. <laughs> I want to be careful with this episode to not scare you guys too much because, you know, we're talking about, like, reality check, everything's terrible. Like, okay, guys, you're going to survive it, and you are capable, and we do have tools and resources in place to help you. So, yes, step number two is to be a safe new grad, prioritize safety, CYA, right? Like, all of these things, protect your license, avoid cowboy nursing at all costs. So 
There is a very big culture that's pervasive in a lot of ICUs, especially adult ICUs, where you're going to see a percentage of nurses who take shortcuts or say, oh, this is the textbook way to do it, but like, this is how we really do it. And it's going to be up to you as the learner to kind of filter through, is there a safety reason that this is the policy? And the general answer is usually yes. If there's a policy in place, it means something bad has happened before that has necessitated this policy to be created. So as a new grad, you're very overwhelmed with tasks, you're very slow, and you're getting a lot of input from a lot of different preceptors. The most important thing you can do is to follow protocols and procedures and follow the rules, especially until you have that deeper understanding and big picture insight. Anna, you talked about, you know, in step one, how you don't know what you don't know. And I used to really, like, not know what people meant by that phrase fully. You can't really grasp it until you reach that new level of knowledge and understanding. But you look back and you see how overconfident so many of your coworkers were at the time, or maybe how you were at certain points in time, and how, you know, it's that Dunning-Kruger effect. You know a little bit of information and you overestimate your knowledge about a subject. This is very, very common in, you know, people who are kind of in their transition. They're no longer new grads, but they're not quite experts yet. People who are on their two to three year mark kind of feel like they know everything and they got everything they're going to get out of the unit. And the truth is that that's like one of the scariest points to be the second you stop being afraid because you know like this much of the information. You haven't gone all the way deep yet. I remember sitting in CRNA school and like learning way more in-depth pathophysiology and pharmacology and every day being like, oh crap, I wish I knew that. So again, this is not to scare you guys, it's to empower you guys. In order to be safe, it's important to start out with rule following and you know using checklists and procedures and policies and then also equipping yourself with knowledge so that you do get that full picture quicker and you can shorten that learning curve. So that's why we invented Confident Care Academy, right? We have these free resources for you here on the podcast, but we also give the in-depth pharmacology and pathophysiology lectures that come from our advanced practice nurse training where we do go deeper and we do give it to you at a, a much, much more enriched level so that you can feel empowered to get more of the full picture so you know why you're doing everything you do and you don't forget the details. So for the new grad who is stuck in the weeds, right, you're task oriented, you're trying to get all of your labs done and your patient baths and you're freaking out about giving report and you feel that you are so caught in the weeds of just the tasks of being an ICU nurse, how do you recommend new grads go from that to then increasing their knowledge base and actually studying and understanding the material. Because the reality is like you feel so overwhelmed as a new grad ICU nurse that you don't always have time at work to look into all of these advanced pathophysiology and pharmacology topics. A lot of times you're just trying to keep your head above water. So like, how do you get from that point to the, I am being inquisitive and I am learning more about a topic? What what do you do to get there? So I guess there's really two things that you can do. The first thing is to ask questions at work. And sometimes you might get snide answers or responses, but if you open a question with, for my learning, for my understanding, people are generally very receptive to give you the answer because you're putting them in the position of teacher. That's the first step. The second step, I think, is to, while you're at work, 
focus on getting through those tasks with, again, like checklists and tools. So we have actually in the Confident Care Academy membership, the assessment checklist, we have report templates, and we have like time management lectures to kind of help you understand how to optimize and strategize your day. And then save your learning, your in-depth learning for when you go home. So I used to just take my notes app on my phone at work and every time I would have a question, like, what does MV ring mean? Or, you know, <laughs> what, like, why does tricuspid regurgitation matter? What or, is ADH and how is that related to vasopressin? All those little things, just put it in your notes app. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you go home, look it up the next day and don't spend hours and hours and hours. We want you to have rest on your time off so that you can have the energy to get through your shift. But on your off days, just look up one thing. Just take an hour to look it up, go on up to date. Usually you could access it through your online hospital library. Listen to the lecture on CCA. <laughs> That's really what we recommend is on save your days off to pick one topic a week. Maybe that one topic as you're first starting off is norepinephrine. Okay, Levofed. You're going to use it. If you work in the ICU, you're using Levo. It's your third week in the ICU. Listen to the lecture on your drive to work on your or on your commute to work. Pick like one topic a week and then really tackle that to get that deeper level of understanding because you're going to feel so overwhelmed and so flustered as a new grad. Set achievable goals for yourself and you're going to hear this all the time. It's going to be annoying, but like smart goals, like <laughs> set set goals that you're going to be able to meet. Are you going to be able to study for three hours a day on your days off? No. Should you? Also no. Should you be the nurse who asks questions and goes to that deeper level and is picking one topic a week? Yes. And you will find it's kind of circles back to what you're talking about, like Donnie Kruger, the ICU nurse who's been there like a year and a half and thinks that they know everything. A lot of times you'll find that if you have this mindset and approach to learning where you are always going to dig deeper, you're going to get so much more out of your time in the ICU. And you're really going to understand systems that a lot of your coworkers really don't. And we do recommend that you pick one topic a week and then you really dig into that. Like, you were talking, what is tricuspid valve regurgitation and how does that relate to my patient's presentation? Okay, go on YouTube, look up the surgeries that will, like a tricuspid valve repair, look that up on YouTube. Or the CCA lecture that we already have for that. (laughs) Which is taught by Chrissy, which I happen to enjoy listening to lectures by you, but I'm, I'm, I'm personally biased. Listen to it on your way to work and then take it one step at a time. How does, so with asking questions and then being safe, What do you think is the kind of sweet spot for a new grad to be hitting? Like if you are not really sure about something and you don't really know if you want to ask the question because the ICU nurse that you're asking is grouchy and 57 years old, like how do you approach asking questions so that you can be safe in a way that's going to like minimize you getting like snapped at? (laughs) I always, I still do this to this day. Hey, just to clarify, or I looked this up, I don't fully understand. Could you help me? Like just little cute phrases like that for my understanding for further clarification, for the sake of safety, I want to make sure I do this right. If you precursor it with that, nobody can really be mad at you. Like, it's just... That is what it is. It's a safety thing, right? Which then ties into survival tip number three, practice your communication. Communication is so key in the ICU because, again, these patients are really sick. And the way that we communicate on the team it can save moments when it really matters. It can also really <laughs> help or hinder your own learning process, the way that you interact with others and the way that you communicate with other people. So what would like step one, 
what would be some good practices to implement as like somebody learning how to be an ICU nurse for the first time? What are some like tips there? One of the biggest hurdles, I think, is to get used to provider communication. Mm. <laughs> I wish I had more practice with this as a new grad. I think we talked about this in the AFib episode, actually. Yeah. <laughs> this story of when I had a patient going into rapid AFib, I was a new grad nurse, had not been off of orientation that long, and I couldn't get in touch with the provider. I tried calling, she didn't answer. We used to just have one moonlighting attending and one CA2 um, surgery resident on overnight. And it was like a 32-bed unit and people were constantly crashing. So it was not enough support. Again, they've improved since this time. <laughs> but, you know, so, okay, so she wasn't answering her phone. I end up overhead paging. Hey, can you come to room 86? And so she thinks it's an emergency it's an urgent situation, right? A post-op cardiac surgery patient going into rapid AFib is an expected situation, somewhat. So Which you would know if you listen to the AFib episode, go check that episode out. We're talking about emergency management in a little bit, and I think it's something like 30% of post-op cardiac surgery patients go into AFib at some point. Anyway, check out that episode. So she comes to the room running. And she screams at me. And she screams at me because... I didn't make it clear in the overhead page that it was non-emergent. So had I known <laughs> provider communication a little bit, okay, A, it's not right to scream, but B, I could have communicated more clearly that, hey, non-emergent, can you come to room 86, right? Like that would have made a difference in right. the conversation. So um, it's important when you're talking to providers to really use that SBAR format Hey, and then if it's not an emergency, open with that so you're not scaring people. Right. Hey, not, not emergent. emergent. <laughs> Same wavelength. Jinx. Jinx. <laughs> hey, not emergent. Just need your input here. Or hey, it's a little urgent. Don't worry, the patient's stable. That's something I say a lot. Hey, urgent question, but don't worry, patient's stable. Situation, patient is in AFib in the 130s. Um, I already did an EKG. We're already hanging a gram of magnesium. That's like something we were allowed to do on the unit at the time. Um, you know, crystals, drawing labs to check electrolyte levels. Um, can you put in an order for amiodarone or do you think we should cardiover or like whatever the next step may be, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of that situation background assessment. The assessment piece would be like, oh, their blood pressure is stable. You know, we're still in the right, 90s systolic. And then, you know, recommendation or request would be the, the R. So even that is would have been overwhelming for me as a first week, second week new grad. I think the key when you're in those like very first stages is literally practice. Practice with your preceptor. Hey, can we practice what I should say on the phone for my for for my patient, right? So like I didn't get experience with this in nursing school enough because mm. Most nursing schools, you get a couple of med medical surgical shifts and nothing is really ever, well, that, actually I won't say that. Things can be urgent. You can have a patient destabilize and have to get transferred down to the ICU. That does happen. The majority of provider communication with patients on the floor is not a high stakes interaction. Most of the time, it's usually reconciling orders and it's usually not the my patients in AFib RBR can they come like urgently and can I hang amiodarone that's going to be new for most new grad ICU nurses and also for many nurses this is like your first job right you're like 22 years old and then you're dealing with 
oh, I have a sick patient and I need to talk to my scary 65-year-old attending <laughs> who is like my grandfather and I feel like I'm going to have like a panic attack even just talking to them. So like that is all something that you're going to be dealing with for the first time. How do you get better at communicating? Practice. Really just practice with your preceptor. Can we say or ask them how they would communicate this if you have time. I like to ask people how they would approach something. Like, hey, how would you talk to this person? Like, what would you say? I like to hear how you would say that. And then listen to them. If it's your very first day and then you're practicing notifying a provider about something, or if you're giving rounds, or if you're giving a patient presentation and rounds, I think it's okay for your first week or two to ask your preceptor to do it and you observe how they do it, and then you do it the next time. I had a lot of practice with this in nursing school and on orientation, and I think it was really helpful. They used to make us do exercises in nursing school with SBAR, and I didn't really understand why it was important at the time. Right. And then I was really grateful for it. When I got to the unit, I was still awkward, but my preceptors did show me and then prep me and coach me what to say during patient presentation for rounds. Mm -hmm. And when we called the provider, I did get a lot of help with that from all of my preceptors. And I do think having a game plan and practicing early on before the emergency happens, like with small things was really helpful for developing that skill. And I would write down on like the back of my report sheet, just like a little (laughs) jot notes. And I would kind of do it in that SBAR format, like situation, background, assessment, like request. And that was huge. I want for y'all to know that people aren't just like naturally good at this. Like it takes practice and nobody is born as an ICU nurse knowing how to run a room in an emergency situation. We all had to practice to get there. I remember sitting in front of or standing rather in front of my computer in my patient's room, rapidly updating the lab results, just waiting for it to come back. And as I was doing that, I would be literally verbatim practicing what I was about to say to the provider about it. I'd be like, hi, Dr. Anna in room 247. I got that result, the results back. This is their redraw hematocrit and platelets. Did you want me to wait or transfuse another unit? I would literally be practicing that verbatim because it takes practice. And also, I think this really ties into the next thing, which is talking about um, like even report, right? So does is report natural, do you think? No. <laughs> it's so awkward. It's so weird. It's hard. And it's also, unless you had an ICU practicum, which most people don't, you're not getting practice with talking about all of the devices that the patient is on, even all of the line placement and everything, right? Like you might know how to give report on a med surge patient, but talking about the settings for an LVAD is a whole different situation, right? So not only is giving report not natural and is it a big skill to overcome as a new grad nurse, it's actually an ongoing issue and a subject of research that pops up all the time for people's DMP projects. Um, If you've ever read The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande, people forget (laughs) things all the time that they think they are remembering. It's really easy to miss giving something in report and there's all this research and data on how like at handoff, when transferring units, for example, like things just get missed and whispered down the lane, even from experienced providers. Mm. So it is really important to have like a template, a format, a script that you use so that you remember to tell everything. 
Um, people will interrupt you when you're giving report and kind of try to derail you. It's okay to ask them to hold their questions to the end, as long as you do it politely. Mm. Um, like, hey, I'm actually about to get to that. Let me just finish this section first. I'll tell you in a minute. Mm. Like, I, I don't want to go out of order. I'm going to forget. I think that's like a really valid way to say something that nobody can really argue with. And people usually go, oh, oh my God, sorry. Especially as a new grad, I think that's good to be like, oh, if you get interrupted to be like, to say, oh, to open with, I'll forget the rest of neuro. I'll get to that in renal or like something like that along the lines yeah. of just saying like, oh yeah, I'm still like learning the order, but I will get to your question because sometimes it's, it's an opportunity sometimes for a little bit of bullying reporting. <laughs> It kind of can. It can be like they're grilling you and they want to see how you respond to like them flustering you or like knocking you out of order. And it can be such a intimidating, like not only learning how to do it, but learning how to deal with like the big personalities can be hard. So I kind of distracted you. You were talking about checklist manifesto. No, it's good. Going in order systemically and like how to acclimate by using structures, right? Yeah. And that's again, why we, again, in the Confident Care Academy membership, we actually had not only a lecture on report, but we also had several mini report examples that Anna gave for different units. And then we have a report and time management template that you can print out and use at any time. Um, and I think, again, having everything written down ahead of time and then not letting people derail you and practicing with your preceptor is just the best way to get good at it and be smooth. And also remembering that report is a story with a past, present, and a future, right? So I gave in the membership, there's sample reports for a MICU patient, a neuro ICU patient, and a CVICU patient. Definitely check those out. They're like three-minute videos and then... It also shows my report sheet, like highlighting what I'm going through with each system. Definitely check that out. And that's in the Confident Care Academy membership. But I think something new grads struggle with is talking through the HMP and then also talking through what the plan is for the day, right? So like you've got this whole long medical history and they're coming in for a surgery. Okay, well, what's relevant? They've been here for four months. So like, do I talk about everything that's happened during their admission? So keeping the flow of report with the relevant history from the past yeah. and then what is currently happening, that is the present. And then the future is what your nurse needs to know about what they're going to do today. So keeping that whole story also is going to take practice. Again, like check out the lecture overall and then tying it back to the last thing with communication is practice provider communication. We've said it before. We'll say it again. And then I would say check out the provider communication episode because honestly, it's a topic that, like, it took us 40 minutes to get through. So, like, we can't even get into all of that here. Go check out that episode from the past. Okay, so you are learning on your time off. You are practicing all of these report provider communication. You're reading a collective bargain. Okay, so how, as a new grad ICU nurse, are you going to actually take care of yourself? And this is point number four, self-care. How, what were some ways that you practiced self-care or didn't practice self-care <laughs> as a new grad? <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest things is sleep hygiene. Mm. That is probably one of the most important things you can do. Most new grads are either going to be taking night-day rotating positions or night-shift positions. And even if you're doing straight days, it's really important to preserve your sleep. It's so tempting to, you know, stay out late all the time and just you want to socialize. You have money for the first time. You're not in school for the first time. And it's so easy to cut down on sleep if you're a day shift person. And it's so easy to have difficulty sleeping if you're a night shift person. Mm -hmm. So learning those tips and tricks is really huge. We actually have a night shift YouTube episode, so we'll link that also. 
Um, that's We talk about like some sleep hygiene tips there. But I think preserving your peace and your downtime in general is huge. So getting a sleep mask, blackout curtains for sleeping at night, earplugs, whatever you need for it to be quiet, a noisemaker, um, your days off, not overloading yourself with like too many overwhelming tasks, taking care of your body, exercise, go to fun exercise classes. You don't have to abuse yourself at the gym or like sign up for a marathon. Go for walks, go join a dance class, go do something fun with your friends. Make sure that you're doing like all of those normal self-care things. You're eating, you're drinking liquid. I'm not talking about alcohol. <laughs> water. You're drinking water. You're drinking water. <laughs> and coffee. Uh, water and coffee. Water and coffee. Equal parts. <laughs> you're, you're protecting your sleep. You're protecting your peace. And like, yeah, you're studying on your days off, but you're not overwhelming yourself with extra tasks, too much overtime. It is not your job to staff the unit. If they can't staff the unit, they need to hire more people, right? I actually, hot take, I really don't think that you should work overtime potentially your first whole year. I don't think you should unless, like, you really have to financially. Like, we can't say, like, some people are parents and, like, have to feed their children. Okay, fine. But if you can avoid it, try to minimize it. I think also there's a huge pressure and urge to want to meet all of your financial goals within like the first few years that you graduate. And I think having a long-term focus versus a immediately right now focus will be extremely helpful. If you can't avoid working overtime, please avoid working overtime. 40 hours a week or 36 hours a week as a nurse, there's a reason that three shifts is full-time. Use those four days that you are not at work to invest in being a whole person. And being a whole person looks like being somebody who has hobbies outside of work and outside of healthcare. And I like how you're talking about movement as a way to like nourish your body and not punish your body. I think that especially people who work in critical care, a lot of us have like very, let's say, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of time, it's a lot of overachievers and people pleasers, right? So I know a lot of people I've connected with had a previous history of being like very involved in sports and or like dance. So like, how do you create a relationship with hobbies and movement that's going to be healthy? And I think you should just figure out what kind of movements make you feel good at work and away from work. I'll also say this, I believe that you don't need to work out every day. Hot take. Also, uh, data agrees, you know, like four times a week, three, four times a week is what it takes to reduce chances for uh, adverse health outcomes. That means you actually don't have to work out on days that you're going to work. Well, you're definitely going to hit your steps on the days that you're working as a nurse. Especially as a new grad because you're inefficient. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You'll be like trying to take all of your stuff into the room and then you'll forget like the wipes and you'll forget the lab labels and then you're going to run back versus like an experienced nurse is going to take less steps because they know what they need to bring into the room. As a new grad, I was so inefficient. I'd be like running in and out of the room all the time. It's actually like it adds up. It's like thousands more steps that you're taking as a new grad because you're just like inefficient and you're running around. (laughs) Oh, that is your exercise for the day. And then, you know, on your off days, do something, whatever it may be. I love, I have my friend Christina. Once a week, we do a workout class together. And so that's double dipping for me for socialization time, girl time, and also exercise time. And it's fun because you get to see somebody that you like to hang out with and get some fun movement in together. Yeah. Hikes, little walks. Walks and night shift, I think, are so good because it can kind of help 
reset your circadian rhythm a little bit. Like if you go outside after waking up at like 4 or 5 p.m. and it's bright outside, then your brain like starts to wake up. And it's also very gentle movement pre-night shift to go on like a little bit of a walk. Like I, big walk girl. I love a good hot girl walk. Also, this is not sponsored, but like I'm a huge class pass fan because you can do Pilates, you can do a yoga class, you can do a hit class. I'm in New York right now with Chrissy. I'm probably gonna go take a berries class with Stacy while I'm here because it's all, it's like a, you pay like 30, 50, $100 a month, whatever you want to pay. And then you get a certain number of credits and then you can sign up for tons of different types of gyms. And I love that. I love like all the variety that's present with it. There's even some dance classes on there, like contemporary hip hop, any of your extra credits you can use to like get your nails done or like a facial or a massage or something like, and that's fun to go with, with a friend as well. I totally recommend that. And then as far as self-care, I think coming away from it and looking back, there was a lot of like ne- <laughs> the opposite of self-care that I participated in as a new grad. And if I could go back, I would tell myself as a day one new grad to start journaling. Were you a journaler? As a new grad? I'm still not a journaler. It's it's not really something that resonates with me. I've tried it. I don't really like it. Well, I think it's a, like, take what works and leave what doesn't type of thing. I Journaling was really, really helpful for me in terms of the anxiety that I had as a new grad. And if you find yourself laying awake at night and then playing a situation over and over and over again in your head and then ruminating on a mistake that you made, I found journaling to be really helpful to kind of, like, interrogate those thoughts. So... I would write down like, oh, this charge nurse hates me. And then I would be like, okay, let me do a response to that. She doesn't probably hate you. She has seven children at home and she's stressed out because she's working overtime. And then it gets it out of your brain and onto a physical piece of paper. And then the logical side of your brain can look at that and kind of process it and let it go. So if you find yourself like ruminating, especially if you're on night shift, that's something that was really helpful to, to, for me to try to like retrain my thoughts a little bit. Well, it's a it's a common part of cognitive behavioral therapy is that idea of thought stopping and interrogating negative beliefs and interrogating if they're really true or not. It's really a form of CBT. So it's very helpful to use that exact strategy, whether you do it on paper or just in your own brain. Like mm-hmm. I also did thought interrogation and thought stopping, um, but I just never liked writing it down because I, I found it to be a chore okay. and it was something that I would do less often and actually would feel like it would kind of just like send me almost into like more of a spiral if I was writing. Like then I would just start like going crazy and then it became this like insane task where I'd like write my whole life story and then it was like nuts. So I am very... Like, not for everybody. I'm definitely not, like, one to journal, but... But thought-stopping is a great but, is a great technique. And, and again, just interrogating your own thoughts, like, okay, is that really true? Like, no, it's not. Just forcing yourself to actually think the thoughts through. And um, I had a therapist once who would just challenge me to take it through to the end. Mm-hmm. So she'd be like, okay, so then what? Right? Like, and okay, so this, this, you know, charge nurse, you know, yelled at me for doing whatever like what's the feeling there okay the feeling is I'm anxious and I think everybody hates me like okay well do they really well no they probably haven't thought about me much after that today like okay and what if they did hate me um well like that would be a feeling that they're accountable for there's nothing I can really do about that other than continuing to show up and do my job well like well what if they still hate you like well they're just my coworkers, and there's really no consequence for that not everyone's gonna like you like 
oh, then what, what happens after that? Well, not, yeah, not everyone has to like you. It's okay to like start to make peace with that. So it's good to start to like tangle with those thoughts and Mm -hmm. kind of pull things through to the end. It kind of, you find a way to prove to yourself what thoughts serve you and which ones don't, whether you do it on paper or you just do it in your brain. It's a good exercise. I can't recommend that exact process enough because once you get to the end of the fear, then you find that it's something that you can usually deal with. Yeah. But when it's just this unspoken fear sitting in the back of your head, watching and monitoring your every move, oh, it's a big and scary fear. But if you actually interrogate it and then get to the bottom of it, you often find that it's something that you can deal with. And that's been like so empowering and like huge overall. And I just know that there's so many people who are just like us. Like the reason we made Confident Care Academy is to essentially provide our past selves with resources that we didn't have at the time. Like, oh, who am I talking to? I'm talking to Anna five years ago, who was an anxious nursing student, who was then an anxious new grad, right? Like, that's why (laughs) we want to show you guys that you're going to be okay and that you do need to, like, take steps so that you can improve your knowledge base. But we wanted to provide that for you guys, which kind of leads into, like, what all do we do here? Because I think people get kind of confused sometimes. Like, oh, it's Chrissy from TikTok. You're like, oh, well, what does Chrissy from TikTok do? (laughs) Chrissy from TikTok. Um, yes, we talk about anesthesia. Yes, we talk about nursing. Yes, we talk about more of these soft skills, like how to prepare yourself. Yeah, communication, anxiety, management, all of those things. But again, we're here to provide you with ongoing resources and support. And that is why we have the Confident Care Academy membership. It's not just to help you guys dig deeper into the knowledge base that you need. It's also to help provide community and support and you know the discussion board feature and the monthly lives it's a way for us to connect with each other over coffee when we're sleepy on a sunday morning and (laughs) laugh and it's a way for us to answer each other's questions and for people to see that they're not the only ones struggling so that is probably i guess really the step number five is to engage in community Mm -hmm. um really plug in and to you know use that community to deepen your knowledge, use that community for emotional support. And sometimes we are lucky to have a little new grad group that's supportive on the unit. And sometimes we're not. And that's why we're lucky to live in the social media era where we can establish online community. So, you know, follow this podcast, subscribe to it. It, We're here to continue to give you guys support from nursing school all the way through CRNA school. Even if you don't become CRNAs, We'll forgive you. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We love it. Not everybody can be a CRNA or wants to be a CRNA. Or needs to be a CRNA. And we support that too. But um, yeah, that's why we're here. And check out the next episode, which is going to be about surviving your first day in the operating room as a SRNA. Come back for that one and tune in next time. Bum, bum, bum. And rate and follow and like the podcast. It helps us out with, with the ratings. Bye. Thank you.